0: Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Chris Silkop. Chris is a four-time Paralympian, having competed in, in Rio de Janeiro in Athens in 2004, Sydney in 2000. And his first game in Atlanta in 1996. Two fourth places in both 2000 games and the 1996 games. He is also a five-time World Championship competitor. And also achieving fourth place in the 1998 World Championships. And also among that, he's also a five-time Parapan Games competitor. Winning three silvers, two golds, and also a World Pari Volley Beach World Series gold medal. So welcome on to the show, Chris.
1: Thank you for having me. Oh,
0: it's my absolute pleasure. Obviously, you've yeah, cross-ended both the standing game in, in uh, para Volleyball and also the sitting game. And you were, we were talking about, before we, we, we jumped on on air... About you, fell up, literally fell upon Paralympic sport, and you found. Talk us about that story, because obviously that that pe- people would enable would find that quite fascinating. That you opened a magazine and you you fell into that sport.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, growing up in Florida, you know, Florida we joke is is God's waiting room because everyone in Florida is like 80 years old and is waiting to die. So I actually never saw another amputee. That was my age until I joined the U.S. disabled team. I was so I lost my leg at age seven, below the knee amputation, age seven to a lawnmower, you know, a slice and dice deal. And I grew up playing able-bodied sports, grew up playing with able bodies, basketball, baseball, even soccer. I was a goalie. Uh, football. I even played tackle American tackle football. I was a defensive end. And um, I got out of college. I played a little bit of college basketball with artificial leg. And and um, and um, I was sitting in uh the prosthetist's office, opened a magazine, and I saw a picture of a bunch of guys playing volleyball with artificial limbs. I said, huh, I can do that. I'm pretty athletic. I played some volleyball. And uh, that's how I found out. So as we were saying earlier, in the US in the 90s, the Paralympics was very much of a grassroots effort. There was no national marketing campaign, no corporate sponsorships. Um, It wasn't even really part of the U.S. Olympic Committee. It was all just these little grassroots organizations that were starting these sports. And this was Disabled Sports USA that was running this uh, disabled standing by ball team. And, and I actually had to drive, I had to drive eight hours to go try out for the team. Yeah, they were playing in Atlanta and uh i just hopped into a hitting line before one of the matches they were playing an able-bodied team and and i hopped into it and they saw me how i like think i was and how tall six foot six i said hey you're on the team so for <laughs> so the next tournament i was starting on the b team and the b team beat the a team so the next tournament my second tournament ever playing volleyball I'm starting on the national team as what's called the U.S. Open, which is a big tournament of all the best teams in the U.S. And I'm starting there with a blocker going, what am I doing here? I don't even know how to play the sport.
0: And obviously you've seen down the years, you mentioned before recording that you're on the board of USA Volleyball. How how much have you seen the 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 game transition? In just in just your time with involved in the sport.
1: Um, you talk about the standing game or the sitting game?
0: I'll say as a whole, and then you can offshoot and go in which direction you want to.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I, c- I can tell you There's definitely a parallel between the standing and the sit- sitting in the fact that from what I've seen, both of them, the game's gotten bigger, the game's gotten faster, the game's gotten stronger. Um, So standing, you you can see it. I mean, and also the rules have changed. When I started playing standing volleyball, you could not take the first ball over the net with your hands. You had a bump, you had a forearm pass, everything on the first ball over. The ball was rock hard, and I mean rock hard. I'm talking rock hard. I actually broke the finger of the setter on the French team in the '96 Paralympics because he went up for overpass the net like this, and I came down on top of the ball on his finger. And his finger went boop. So that's how hard the ball was. Um, so they made rule changes to add more rallies, both in standing and sitting. But that's the biggest change I've seen. Um, and I'll give you another example. 2004. 04 Athens. I was the tallest person in the Paralympics playing sitting a volleyball. Six foot six. And I don't know what that is uh, in metric terms.
0: About two, about two meters.
1: Uh, yeah. And I was the tallest one. And I was second. I was second in the Paralympics in blocking, you know, of all, all the teams. And then 07, I retire. 2015, I come back. My first tournament's in China, right? It's the World Cup. I walk into the cafeteria. I show up late. My flight got delayed. All the teams are eating. I walk in. I see the Iranian Morzega, uh, Morteza, eight foot one. I see a guy from uh, Kazakhstan, seven foot six. I see Germany has a guy six foot nine. Brazil has two guys seven <laughs> feet tall. I'm looking around, going, "Holy cow! What happened?" <laughs> Everybody went out and got a giant.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think when because I started in with the national team with the British team in '09, so I played. I've played against that but he was he was very very much you just went round him and he's slow because he wasn't the quickest uh and then the iranians oh we'll get one plunked him he was a bit he was a bit he's 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 very useful asset now now oh Uh, now
1: he's he's a threat now yeah
0: whereas in the beginning they kind of moved him around but you could still utilize him uh offensively as well um, I've played against the two Brazilian boys. Um, the Brazili- the Brazilians obviously meddled in Rio, and they used to be on par. Well, Britain's obviously long behind after. Um, this, the men's team is just about hanging on, uh, which is obviously unfortunate that you you, you touched upon funding uh, before we came on with the US one. I think this is an oversight by UK Sport as uh, I have this argument with my family, is they kind of went, they say it should be the other way around as it should be the team, the sports that uh, need the support should get them more money. It's like, well, that's that's not logical because in order for the teams to stay successful at the top, they need to have the same investment that they've always had in order just to maintain where they're at. So I, I know they were revisiting how the structure they did in this country after the Tokyo game. So it'd be interesting what they do. Uh British basketball has well they lost their funding after London twenty twelve they able bodied and they kinda went, Okay, you're not gonna give us any money. We're gonna survive, we're gonna prove you this only it's the only team sport I think that's kinda got their funding back. But basketball I think is so big worldwide, especially in uh, urban areas, there is that development because, well, it's not not that so- easy to
1: and somebody what you're referring to is what I call the chicken and the egg. Yeah. It is in all these NGBs, national NGBs or national federations, or even the National Paralympic Movement Organization, they say you only get funding if you get medals. Well, you can't get a medal until you get funding. So for a lot of sports, and we ran into this, I'm the chair for rural para Valley for for beach. So uh Beats Valley, we were on the docket to try to get into the LA 2028 games. And unfortunately we didn't. But I ran into this with USA Viball, where I said, look, if we're going to compete, we gotta get funding mm-hmm. to travel and get teams. And and get better. But you said well, I was going, Well, we're not gonna give you any funding until you get into the Paralympic Games. I'm like going, Yeah, but we can't get into the Paralympic Games until we get funding. And this is worldwide for all the teams and all the federations. So somebody so- needs
0: somebody's gonna buck that trend and it's gonna get a head a head start on everybody else. So you're seeing that probably with the, the Eastern Europeans and uh, with Paralympic Sport that they've kind of gone, Well we're missing a trick here, and you're seeing okay, Ukraine. Going up the the, the thing, obviously it's long before the the, the war that's transpiring now, uh, and then a lot of the Europe, Eastern Europeans are thinking, okay, they now this is a threat. Um, the, obviously Russia before they got banned for more doping kind of things, was starting to pump infrastructure and, and you were seeing a world view worldview shifting. I think Africa hasn't quite grasped it yet because they've got. Their issues of almost um it's not almost they literally they shun the people that wanted to say oh, you are like you're beneath it so if, if they change that belief system that continent becomes a threat because they have nothing so they will literally you you've seen it with the South- uh, South Africans so if you said that for the rest of the continent though those people are quite uh resolute you see it with the black african-american athlete in the past as i'm going to stop at nothing to get out of my situation for my family and if you are in my way come hell or high water well that's your choice i'm going to go through you i'm going to go around you youtube um so i think that has i think obviously most people if you google the, the iranian guy a lot of the outlets did some the story on him of, of, of I already knew about him. It was like, oh, okay. But what about the rest of the team? That's well, it's almost like everybody playing to this day with the Bosnians and the Iranians. I think is that been the, the case since the early 2000 with yourself that everybody's just lit, not settling for third place. Cause I don't think you would ever do that, but everybody's kind of, well, those two are just up. leaps leaps and bounds ahead of each other because they've got professional leagues that everybody's like, well, we're going to consolidate that. If we get third, that's good. If we can get anything higher, okay, we're going to need everything to align to, for that to obviously materialize.
1: Yeah, yeah. I ran in Bosnia from the top two teams, and, and again, they have the feeder system. They have the infrastructure. They have the pro leagues, the clubs, and uh, That's one of the disadvantages that the U.S. has is uh, the size, the pure size of the country, trying to get players together enough to play. One thing we've done recently in the U.S., we have the U.S. Open where we have a a sitting volleyball division, Mm -hmm. but we allow able-bodied players to play. So it's a mixture of able-bodied and disabled players. And it's worked out real well. It's been a very competitive. We've had a few U.S. Olympians, Kevin Barnett, He's a three-time Olympian on the standing team. He gets a team up out of California, and and it's always fun to jaw with Kevin through the, the net because he's talking trash. I'm talking trash, you know, and we're going back and forth, and it's 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 fun. Um, you know, we do it in, in not not a mean way, but uh, just in in a in a fun competitive way. But you know, and I think able-bodied players playing sitting volleyball, I'm I'm okay with that. I, I think it, it it just grows the game. Because it's one of the few sports you have in the Paralympics where I think able body and disabled can play on the same level. You know, wheelchair basketball, I think, is another one. You put an able body person in a wheelchair, they're at a disadvantage because they don't, you know, haven't used it their whole life. Like I've, I've done it
0: because my second cousin, he's retired now, but he played professionally uh, over here and uh, a few countries in Europe. And my dad's family's from Kentucky, so it's a uh, basketball is a religion uh, mm-hmm. there. And uh, him and his few of the teammates that were in the professional team local to me about 30 minutes away, they tr- so their center even got in a chair. It's like, oh, this is hard. And the dude, I think he's probably like six foot nine, sat in- well, he was sat in a guards chair, which makes it probably even worse, but couldn't hit, couldn't even hit the um, the net. Thinking, think guys, so 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 when people ask me that question, well, how hard is which well, technically, it's more difficult because the hoop's the same site, same height, so that makes us the better players because. Uh, and I was somebody was asking me how do they improve their explosivity from my coaching perspective. So I found like studies and there's a lot of using a lot more anatomy to 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 just do free throws and shots like that. So then, thus, if we went lower dis- disability than ourselves, so say the ones with see cerebral palsy, uh, muscular dy- dystrophy, and, and keep going down. They haven't got core function. They haven't got the use of the ability to cheat and use the legs to power through the chair to get a little bit more of a arc on the shot. So to hear somebody that plays professional basketball of go, "Oh God, I commend you guys," and just to for me to kind of show something different, and then they might go back and and see in their locality as always where, where maybe it's this is which a basketball thing that I might be able to contribute to maybe give a little bit more exposure. So it's something that uh, British volleyball did as well in terms of getting the numbers up uh, at uh, more recreational, but still wanted to compete. We had a uh, able-bodied player, my, uh, my assistant coach who's out in Kuwait now, but he played and it was a lot easier to have a conversation with him than the head coach because the head coach never got on the floor. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you need to do this, this, this. But look at these teams, you know, Bosnia, Iran, they're not moving. It's like, yeah, yeah, but they've been playing for years and they could probably almost preempt where the ball's going to go before probably somebody's hit it. Whereas we've, you can't argue with a coach anyway. But as in, in my head, it's like, yeah, but if I'm reactive and the ball doesn't hit the floor, it doesn't matter. If I move one inch, one meter, I- I've seen from watching just things on social media with-, with yourself now involved with the team, it's a lot more athletic than I think people assume. They think sitting volleyball. Do you think that's why they made that shift to para-volleyball so that people don't assume it's in a wheelchair? Because I got that question a lot. Oh, do you play in wheelchairs? Thinking, I don't know how you make that work but
1: <laughs> yeah I i think people think that just because when they think of sitting down they think of the wheelchair and, and they're much more familiar with wheelchair basketball because I honestly wheelchair basketball is has a popularity level that's way up here while sitting volleyball is way down here and it's a matter of educating people and um so I think the more we do it, and in the U.S., we go to a lot of junior tournaments. So we'll have these big convention centers. We'll have a hundred eighty to 100 volleyball courts set up for junior volleyball, and we'll bring in a sitting team, and we've gone to do demonstration. And our court's packed. We have girls who want to play, you know, all day long sitting volleyball. It's something new. It's fast-paced. In fact, it's funny. Kevin Barnett, I mentioned earlier, he tried to get some of the other Olympic players to play sitting volleyball, and they go, oh, no, we don't want to do it. That game's too fast. So, so um they and they recognize how hard it is to move on the court once they get on it because a, you you legs lose a couple you're not used to
0: just losing a couple of limbs then that helps you <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> well, we've we've often joked about putting Kevin on a mo- on a motorcycle or some other guys on a motorcycle and try to get them into an accident just so they could play on the sitting team.
0: What what is what's that article about? K- karch Cook? Karai is that a demonstration one? Because I was like, I'm sure he hasn't lost the well, I'm sure he hasn't lost the limb.
1: No, he has. I'm sure it probably is just a demonstration. I haven't seen Cars place play in but I don't know. I haven't seen that article, but if he did, I'm sure it was just a demonstration about it. Um and, and again, we, we talked about classification uh, and and working within the classification rules. Some countries are better at um how can I put this? What, I don't say manipulating,
0: bending the rules, but they're has better. It, has, at, has it changed slightly from so to so people got some context? And when I was playing, you were either disabled or you were minimal disabled, and that was it. So the, if you were missing a body part, you you were classifiable. And then if you had, this is probably where it, it uh, because we had uh Richard DeBell. So I saw give him a shout out. Uh, he 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 played standing for. Gosh, I'll say probably two decades. He pr- anything you you think of in, in this country, he he'd won. Uh, so he he had, I think, an a- ACL tear. So like a pretty bad one that he wasn't able to run to jump, and like probably could. And same with obviously Kendra Lancaster, you know, uh, married married later. One of my teammates, Ben Hall. So obviously Kendra Hall now uh similar issue that they were no longer able to play standing volleyball but it's like well you're still able to function on day to day so you're not really quote unquote disabled but has that changed in the last ten years to like fine-tune it a little bit more that it's a little bit more
1: there there was some tightening up of the minimal definition and I know Brazil lost Brazil lost to their seven footers because of that and that happened three right before COVID, I think 2019 or so that happened right after yeah right after the real games. So I, I don't know if it was the IPC that tightened it up or if it was the uh, Real Paravali who who tightened up um or made it uh you had to be more disabled than what it was. let's put it that way.
0: Well I thought having an ACL town you can't jump. it's like well, but that's something you can get repaired. So it's not really going to impact your, definitely not your sporting ability. And then if you want a good quality of life, wouldn't you want to get that resolved? So I thought it, because we went into the London games with three MDs. So the, the third one didn't play a minute, didn't get any court time whatsoever. So, and he's now the team manager for the team. You're thinking, gosh, I couldn't do that. Take the take the spot, not play any minute. I think the coach should have played him in some of the the, the dead rubbers and some of the games we weren't going to win in the group to give him to give him some of the experience. To kind of, what's it like to Okay, I'm fortunate I played I've completed two games. Most of those teammates have only done one. He in theory went in as a VIP, VIP spectator. So yeah. I definitely couldn't have done that so i as a as a as a person i commend him for taking that what would have been the 10th spot on the roster just to help out in practice because right. most you probably you you asked the same question of the other nine guys It'd be no no no, no. i'd rather watch from home and 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 just say i wasn't good enough um because one of the guys had to pull out, and he and the coach asked, oh, "Do you want to take the last spot?" I don't know if I could have done. I kind of well, if I'm not going to play a minute.
1: Well, some people, it, it's just the honor of being selected or going to go into the Paralympics. I remember 2000, we were playing Cambodia, and Cambodia team had no business. Be, I mean, we beat them. I think 25 eight, 25 nine, 25 eight. I mean, it was just. But when we got to the match, they were the happiest group of guys I'd ever seen. You would think they had won won the world championship. It was they were singing on the bus. and it was, and and it, it struck me as, you know, I was there to win and and we were favored to medal in four, and that was a very bitter experience for me. But, um it it kind of taught it kind of put the whole thing in a different perspective for me because I always viewed the Paralympics not as something to participate, but something to win. And and these guys were there just enjoying the experience. And and it, it kind of gave me a different point of view. So that, that gentleman, you know, he was there to just participate and enjoy the experience. But it, it's funny you mentioned about that, about playing. Give you a quick story. 2016, my fourth games, last match playing for, I don't know, eighth place, whatever, playing China. And I said, I told the coach, Greg, Greg Walker, head coach. I said, Greg, I don't need to start this match. I said, I've started every match in my career. I started over, I don't know, four, 40 matches in the Paralympics, every single one. I don't need the experience. I don't need the honor. I don't need it. I want you to start somebody else who's never started someone that you feel in the team that, you know, has put a time in so they can start and play and, and get that recognition because I, I'd been there, done that. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't need to do it. And, and the match didn't mean anything. It was for last place. So I said, you know what? Go ahead and start somebody else.
0: Well, I commend you on that, Chris, because I, I think the sitting volleyball competition is very good. You talking about eight? We were playing for it. We uh we had ten teams in London, and obviously they've since scrapped two, got rid of two teams. Uh, so it's a it's a long grind. Um, and and I think the beginning of the tournament, we had a lot of we had like night games. So people were like, what well, what do you do? What do you do between games? Coach originally wanted us to practice. Um, and the the, the venue that was selected for for both the Olympics and the Paralympics was in kent and be it london traffic any city traffic at the best of times i think it took us two hours to get to practice the us team so the women's your women's team managed to secure one of the training facilities that's right next door to the competition venue get that you're not even the host and that gets done. whereas we were playing by the rules. Like, no, 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 we should have done something similar. As in, you're playing the venue next. We should have been able to, well, that's what we want to do. I don't, it might be the, it might not be the unofficial training site, but it's what's better for the team. So, uh, I know a lot of teammates didn't do as what they were told. Um, we played, I think the Russians and the Egyptians at night. I fell asleep. Um, I believe, I think it was the Russian game. I've never felt so groggy in my life. <laughs> I wish I hadn't done, done done as I was told to kind of just, you know, lay lay lounge around because that's mm-hmm. almost worse. Uh, okay, I didn't, I think I played one point, I played the last match of the game um, and uh, I roomed with the, uh, well, I was second liber- reserve libero as well, but as in my job was to serve a service specialist, I served it out of bounds and my family went, why did you do that? I didn't, I didn't deliberately say out of bounds, but you've seen some of the Russians. the The ones got nickname of the bear.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
0: that thing would have come back with a vengeance. <laughs> no matter. Yeah, they... We might have won that point, but the game would have been over. But to to see the progression that we'd made from my first competitive uh, competition, which was the World Champs in Oklahoma in 2010. Pretty much they got rid of us within oh gosh, I think it was something ridiculous, like under thirty minutes for a match. We mm-hmm. were that bad. To, to 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 almost because of having we'll say nine thousand people in, in the venue supporting us, they kind of capitulate under the pressures. Oh, you you're supposed to win. if we get a set off you, that'd be a luxury. So my Miley Bearer is like, Oh James, good job. <laughs> got there right sooner. Uh and Obviously, I played not much of that impact. Uh, probably played my worst game of the tournament against the Brazilians in the in the in the placings, and they went after me in terms of because I because what we had been doing throughout the tournament, if I didn't get aces, I didn't get anything in, I get substituted off. Whereas the coach decided to keep me in. That would have been probably like game five of the tournament. It's like, well, why don't you do that from the day one? Because I'm good enough. And I practice like that. If he'd got hurt, I'd have to take his spot. So why didn't you have the the I don't know, confidence in me to it didn't help me because my confidence was in the toilet. Because <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm still on. I'm making mistakes. I've actually watched it back. And I kind of went, the team could have rallied a little bit around me to kind of go, okay, it's okay. You're not making deliberate mistakes so they targeted me in that match on purpose it's like quite fun watching the person's eyes i was like yep uh whatever you make decision wise with your blockers we're going i'm gonna serve it to make it awkward for you um so it was a nightmare for me That 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 particular that's probably the worst and then i think probably the highlight of that tournament probably getting an ace against the iranians so i use that in my 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 social media stuff because it doesn't it didn't really happen that the ball doesn't come back so i was like yeah oh, that think yeah think i
1: ran yeah that's that's an accomplishment
0: so, <laughs> so i'll take that
1: but for for you
0: obviously sitting uh, and volleyball has has changed from the standing to sitting to have you done beach sitting volleyball at all no
1: no i haven't done beach uh, i did uh, standing so I'm actually the only player in the world to win a World pair Volley Ascension tournament in standing, sitting, and beach, wow. but standing beach. But I've never done sitting beach.
0: And when when you when you say standing beach, is it the 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 conventional two on two,
1: three? So it's three person.
0: Okay. Is that because of it's a little bit more difficult? Um, obviously disabled people can relate with this and just going to the beach. Is it just the, 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 the making it more difficult to be able to move around court because just of the sun?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's two reasons. One is that, and two, with a third person, you could have a little bit more variety in the disability spectrum. So best case scenario, like for us, you know, we won the world championship is me at the net, six-six blocking, but I'm a BK amputee, but I also set. Then my two other hitters in the back, you know, who are playing defense and passing, they're missing uh, half an arm or maybe they're missing a hand, but they have two good legs. So they can their mobility in the sand is much better than mine. So we and they jump higher. So we use them for passing, and hitting. Well, for me, I do all this set setting and, and the blocking. And that's kind of the best combination. Most countries try and do that because, um, again, you can only have one minimal on the court. So you don't have one A player. So you need to have two B players on the court.
0: It's interesting you say that, Chris, because you said your middle, middle blockers can't pass.
1: Oh, um, I, I could, I could pass. I was, so in 97 they changed the rule from passing with your forearms to passing with your hands. And I went from being hit in the corner to being a primary passer. So, I was actually in the 2000 team. I was playing middle blocker and I passed all the way around. Even the front roads, middle blocker, I had to move back and pass with my hands. I think I had like 120 passes, 78 excellence and only two errors. In, that's in normally
0: the-, the person you go after is because like, oh, well, you're going to get substituted for the libero or, or they're going to bring on somebody that can pass. Um, I've got a video of, our um, well, why was middle, uh. Justin, I give him a shout because he was he was the young. He's still the youngest in the team. Justin Phillips, he's literally when we're doing a demonstration. Oh, that's me that James is talking about. Um, that I got to come on and put. so because people are like, well, why does this person have a different color shirt on? It's like, well, that's one of the primary rule rules. Either the person's no goods, um, they're having a stinker, uh, and obviously, well, I think th- th- that position is undervalued because ultimately you got to do everything perfectly if you don't do something right it's like oh, why didn't you do that it's like well they're not machines but that's one reason when I got the other position given to me like yeah good because if you make a serving mistake it's not big de- obviously it's a big deal but as it's not it's downplayed okay you're not in the flow of the game thus the mistakes not you you almost uh how would I describe it it's I won't say it's no big deal but I think it's downplayed as okay it happens we'll move on to the to the next play and the only praise that I well I received from the coach was against the moroccans because I able, was able to give us a separation I think it was set number 1 and we went on to win the match 3-0 so and he's like it should have been free for free the, the 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 referee missed an ace um because he didn't get enough touch on it but I could see it from the other baseline, that the ball changed direction in his hands. It's like, well, you might have blinked at that particular moment, but everybody else in on court knows that. that and it was a libero as well. That should have been an ace. A, and I was like, I've always contemplated, could I have served out for the set from the stress? Uh, and I had a chat with their coach after the tournament because they literally tried to ice me used it up both timeouts substitution and then I got two aces in a row but what 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 my teammate did he said forget all the people in the crowd and think of you, you're just in it, pra- at practice with nobody in the gymnasium and I that was a mate so the second time I was, la- we were all laughing in the huddle it's like the coach has given us what we have to do just go out and execute and to be able to do that and then when I watched it, when it was on YouTube that night, I was more stressed watching it back than actually doing it. So I think it it shows that some people, I don't know whether he was stressed himself, but he was ex, he's ex-military. ex So this is probably not sports, nothing compared to a war zone. So for you, Chris, would you have a hiatus of nine years out of the sport? What brought you back?
1: Um. I was asked to come back, but really it was missing the camaraderie of a team. Um, I had moved to a different state for work. I didn't have that many friends where I was at. And I got a phone call from a guy from Florida. They were putting together a, a, a Florida team to play at the U.S. Open. Our team went and we actually won the U.S. Open that year. And in the finals, we beat a team that had a bunch of national team players on it. So we went out to dinner that night and a couple of the guys from the current national team Mm -hmm. joined us. And, and, and we had a great time, laughed, cracked on each other, joked the whole time, nothing but just, just laughing for two hours. And, and they said, Hey, we could use you. I said, we could use your hitting and your blocking on the U S team. We've qualified for, for Rio. And uh, you, you know, when you think about coming back and so, I had a conversation with the coach and, and um, actually, you know, at the time they were in between coaches. That's right. So I came to the first training camp. Uh, Eric Duda was a, a beach partner of mine. He was a captain of the U.S. sitting team. Eric talked to talked to me about it. I said, hey, you know, we could use you You could come back. Um, they started paying us also. So that that didn't hurt. <laughs> so I started getting some money finally for playing sitting volleyball. Before I, I never got any money. So that kind of helped to uh, help sway me. But the main thing was I enjoyed, I went to the first training camp and I enjoyed the guys on the team. If we were, if we had seven jerks on the team or eight jerks or idiots, goofballs, I wouldn't have come back. But I really enjoyed the guys on the team. And, and I had to, you know, I had to prove myself. I was I've been gone for eight years. Who's this clown coming back? We've already qualified for Rio. He comes back just to play in another the Paralympics. And I had to tell them, that's not the case. I'm coming back because I'm enjoying the teammates. I enjoy the experience. And the other part of it, my kids have grown. So the reason I quit originally, my kids were uh, seven and four, and they started playing youth sports. And I didn't want to be gone for that. So that's one of the main reasons why I stopped playing. They're now in high school. They're done playing sports. So it freed up my free time. To travel and train and do what needs to be done. so there was just a lot of things fell into place that seemed to work and and you know winning's important, but I actually now enjoy the experience and enjoy my teammates much more than I did before I retired the first time
0: do you, do you think that is more of an, a West because I can I can appreciate what you're saying Chris in terms of we go to a part I think it's more of a western view. You don't see I think Brazil might have switched, but you would you would class probably Brazil previously in the past as a Paralympic nation as oh they're just going there to compete. They're not there to win. Um and it's almost instilled to you of oh, you know, winning at winning at all cost kind of mentality. You don't go there to make up the numbers, you you go there to win. Do you think that kind of mindset you lose sight of what is in essence is an experience. It's it's a once in a lifetime okay, you had the opportunity to have four. I've had two. Most people only get maybe one if they're lucky. Do you think we maybe gloss over and you maybe would like to go back and do those other three differently it, it based on your experience now?
1: Um I don't know if I would do my outlook different. I do know after Sydney, so let me put that in perspective. Sydney, we won our pool. We dropped one set. We went 3-0. We were favored to be in the gold medal match against Germany. Uh, We had a stacked team. We we ended up losing two matches. Mm -hmm. Both matches we lost in the fifth game. Both games we lost in extra points. Wow. Yeah, it was 16, 14, 17, 15. So we lost the semifinals to Canada by two points extra then then the in both games we were up two games to one, two sets to one in both matches were up. bronze, we lose to Slovakia, same situation up two games to one. we lose seventeen, fifteen. and I was de- it took me years to get over that because I had put so much emphasis on winning mm-hmm. that I lost perspective of you know winning's important. But other things in life are important also. And and I do motivational speeches now and I give talks to businesses about what I learned on the court, how I carried over to the business. I'm a CEO of a multi million dollar company and how I brought that into business. And and I learned more from my defeats. I've learned more from my losses than what I've learned from my my gold medals. And you see-
0: do you think that's why, and I apologize for interrupting you, do you think that's why some people have a skewed perspective on sports? They only see the finished article in most cases. Okay, Instagram, TikTok, social media is opened and shown behind the scenes um, because people are interested of oh, what does it make to make the cake at the end of the day, not the cherry on the top. Do you think because... The outside world have this perception of, you know, success is about winning, it's about da. But you and I would both agree that there's a l- enormous amount of sacrifice, uh, the opportunity obviously costs that's gonna be have to be in order for you to be successful, something is gonna have to fall by the wayside.
1: Yeah, I Social media. Don't even get me started on that that topic. I think that's gotten way out of hand. I think that's just ridiculous. How how warped social media has gotten about stuff. But now, don't get me wrong. Wrong. I I, I play to win, but I, it's it's not it's not the um, my life doesn't circle around winning. It doesn't make up who I am. It's it's not, you know whether it's not life or death
0: mm-hmm.
1: for, for me, as at one point it was. And and, and when, when winning is life and death for you, when you don't win, what happens? It's death. And and I was in a very deep, dark valley for a couple of years after the 2000 games because winning was life or death. Everything I did up to 2000 since 98 World Championships was just about meddling. And to come so close and to lose it like we did twice, um, it, it it took a long time for me to come to grips. I mean, you know, as you know, you get get a ring, right? Or at least in the U.S., all athletes get get get, a, get this big ring with diamonds in it. You know, for participating being a U.S. athlete. I put mine in a drawer. I couldn't even look at it for years. I couldn't even look at it because it reminded me of of just the failure. That I thought was the the, the two thousand experience. I I and can the... I can
0: relate that with my, obviously my London no, but because um I know we we had expectations as a team to finish in the top five, and I thought that was a bit you're on cloud cuckoo land. Um, I I know my teammates. Yes, in an ideal world that's possible, but I know my teammates. Uh, where we finished in eighth. I thought that was probably where we were at, at that particular time in the journey. Uh, if we were able to probably keep that team together longer, gosh, it would be very very hard to make another games, but we would have made progress and chipping away. Um, so I think for me, Beijing, I can relate because I finished fifth. Uh, and video, I finished about that far fourth, so I can relate to, to how you feel of. It took me. probably years to process what is success as in, well, I, I always sell to, I want to win a gold medal. I can't answer you even to this day. Why? um, I just did. But in terms of when you see your teammates left, right and center, oh, bronze medal, gold medal. What have I got to show for it? What, 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 what have I, what have I achieved at this games? But who finished fourth? They got left in the blocks. I'd rather not be them, and they did that at two games in a row to finish fourth. so I so yeah. they they could probably feel your pain. So for finishing fifth, is it easier? Probably not because but to be for that to be the first sport in 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 in, in the Paralympics. I've made the first of everything. First British athlete in that sport. First finalist. Uh, and to see that um, my classification has been won the the the, the game the gold medal in, in Tokyo and, and Rio. As, I will not say I was the first person. I, I, I was the bigger person to kind of go congratulations. I wish <laughs> that you would have been around in my time and then what would have been maybe something different. But I kind of went well um, I think she would have been in her twenties for five years ago. So she'd been 10 years old when I competed. So, okay. That's unrealistic kind of go. Uh, And just to put things into perspective as if you or I now in, in, in our, in our wise years could say to say, maybe in, in, in our teens, you get to materialize being a professional athlete, travel the globe and go to some of these, I won't say the look the the hotel and the, the, the sports are like luxury but as in you get to these some of these far flung countries and you get paid to do it and you get to do it for I think it was about a decade and a little bit longer my it's police. So I think it puts it into perspective as yes, it's skewed that yeah, winning at all cost, but I think the lessons learned is I I maybe maybe should have lived in the moment a little bit more. I've got memories, I've got pictures. Um, but I'm not in them. I'm behind the camera. So thinking, ah, oh, selfies didn't exist. No. <laughs> when you and I are talking it'd be it'd be odd if you were to take a normal camera and point it toward yourself and you'd normally ask somebody else. So that is people assume, well, where where are you? It's so like, I'm taking the picture. I've been in some of these uh, amazing the Bird's Nest, the Water Cube. I wouldn't call the XL a, 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 a very special venue, but but some of these iconic venues, uh, I'm lucky that I've spoken to a lot of American athletes to kind of go, well, what 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 do you envision for la for yourself do you want to be the spectator do you want to be that i'm gonna ask you that question Chris. do you would you rather be a spectator because you've had the privilege of competing on a home soil already would you rather be the spectator or having one more one more shot at competing in front of a home crowd
1: you know probably compete again um you know, I I'm so lucky because I've had multiple second chances. Most athletes don't get a second second chance. I've actually retired twice. I've come back. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing I, I talked about is, is pressure. You know, when when it when life when winning is such life and death, you put so much pressure on yourself not to screw up. And I've gotten to a point now where I've I failed 07. I hit the ball out of bounds to end the match. We lost gold medal match game five against Brazil. I've been I've had the failures. Oh oh four, I got served off the court. I'm sorry, 96 served off the court bronze medal match against Poland. First time ever pulled out of a match of how bad I played. Served literally off the court. <laughs> But I've had successes. Uh, 2003, I had the game-winning match, tournament-winning spike, back road. They put us into Athens against Brazil. But what has taught me the losses and putting it into perspective, I don't get nervous anymore. So because winning and losing is important, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And when you stop making it the end-all, be-all, and you focus on, hey, it's okay to screw up as long as you're prepared. So as long as you're prepared beforehand – to play your best, you put the time in and you play your best, you don't win. It's okay. You know what? No one's perfect, but you have to be okay with that in order to take the pressure off your shoulders. And, and it a stat. There's a, there's a stat that USA Bible has all our matches last, last year. Game point swings last year for USA. I was six for six to end the game. I now we get something else. I'm fourth on the team in kills. I'm not the prime uh, option. I'm fourth on the team in kills. But when it comes to 20 points or more in a match, I have the highest hitting percentage, like 600, maybe more than 650. And I'm second on the team in kills because when the game's on the line now, I don't mind the pressure because I'm not worried about screwing up anymore. So
0: you're MJ. It's the clutch.
1: Not quite there. I wouldn't say that. But I I've, I've changed my perspective on things and I don't get nervous anymore. So what dri-
0: I, so what drives you then? What's what excites you if you haven't got the
1: the other end of the spectrum? My teammates. Just being helping them to win, being part of a team. When I was younger, it was about me. When I was younger, I was trying to prove how good I was against other amputees i was i mean i was voted best blocker in the world two years in a row multiple all tournament teams a standing volleyball city volleyball the mvp most outstanding hitter Paralympian of the year it was about me mm-hmm. now i've come back i've come to a position where i'm a role player it's not about me it's about the team so what drives me now is how can i help the team win i don't care if i get one set as long as we win if i had maybe had two blocks uh, Iraq last year world championships game five I scored two of the last three points to win it in game five one was a block one was was, was a kill and I only had like maybe eight points the whole match but there were two of the most important points in the entire entire match so it, it's a it, to me it's not about the stat line yeah it's about the W and that's what drives me. And that's kind of change of my focus from the young Chris Silkop to the old Chris Silkop. Do
0: you do you do you believe? And I've heard this from a former NBA player on social. Uh, on you you don't like your social media, but other than I think it was TikTok, uh, he he believes that the current crop of of basketball players they're more concerned about the stat sheet as opposed to the w and obviously you and i are old school as in that doesn't matter so i think people get obsessed with oh how many points did i get how many kills did i get? Da, 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 da. like well i'm gonna echo what the basketball player um said I'm, I'm i apologize i can't remember his name but i think at the end of the day the most important thing when it's competitive sport is did you win when it comes to it, there's gonna be a loser. There's gonna be a victor, and obviously, there's not very many, many America put sports where there's a draw.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't talk about the NBA nowadays. He could be very well be right. I I remember I watched a documentary now on Netflix about Bill Russell. i I've,
0: I've just started that.
1: Yeah, Bill Russell won eleven rings. You know, and, and he had the mindset. You know, what does it take for the Ws? That's what counts. And uh, and we do have a player. I don't want to name it. We did have a player on a team who would check the stat sheet after every match, every practice, and and he was concerned about the stats. And and honestly, I haven't looked at a stat sheet in probably a couple of years. I remember I looked at the one I just mentioned about last year about game points because I, I was curious. Um, when it when it comes down to the end of the match, end of the set who are go-to hitters. And that's what I wanted to look at from a team standpoint. That's where I stumbled upon my my stats. I was surprised, honestly. Well, Uh, to to
0: give people some perspective, as in both both the U.S. team, both the GB team, back in the day, they got a stats, man. Every game, literally, if you were obsessed, (laughs) that person, he or she could give you that information.
1: Well, what's even worse now, the U.S., we actually have stats for practices now. So they actually stat our practices also, so the coach can make a decision on on who's performing during during practice instead of just being a observation type deal.
0: Yeah, but you could just have a bad practice. And like you one could, of, them, and, one I of mean, them days. Obviously, but, at that at that level, it, I understand where you're coming from, Chris. In terms of that, could make the difference between whether or not you go you you go on the team or I go on the team because they want to see in a high pressure environment who's who's more versatile who's more dependable in those those cutthroat environments that a hey, if the if the shit hits the fan yeah that person's going to perform whereas that may person may not but that person that's underperforming for example may not do very well in that practice practice setting but they don't crumble under pressure in the real in the real setting of what is a competition which is you can't really really prepare for without obviously experiencing it.
1: right yeah also it goes back to your position so someone may be good on the left side but not so good on the right side or good on the right side and the left side or the mid middle so it kind of you know gives the coach information feedback of where they're performing better or what position um but you, you mentioned about um experiencing games that's kind of where the u.s team is now where we finished uh, sixth World Championship, best finish ever for us in, in the worlds, and we took a game off of uh, Bosnia, and um, we yeah, beat Ukraine it, for the first don't, time don't, ever. Don't,
0: don't don't forget, you also did it in Bosnia.
1: We did it in Bosnia, Pags <laughs> House, um, but that's where we are now. Where for us, it's not a it's not a matter of skill anymore between us and other teams with a skill level gap. Our skills there across the board, it's a matter of experience during matches. It's the international play, as you know, playing in a the gym then playing an international match, two different environments. Well, that's, and, that's
0: I think that's where you as a continent, I'm going to put obviously, because it's the only one that's north and south not divided. You guys have a disadvantage, say, with European nations, because, okay, they've now split it into, uh, I think GB is in now the the B division. Um, because they've been to be but everybody used to be so I've played against Bosnia multiple times. I've played probably played Iran three, four. I only played you played for nine years, I only played for four years, but I probably maybe played equally the number of times against the opposition. So I played the Russians four or five times, Ukrainians four or five times. Um yeah, just so- because of the region I'm in.
1: Yeah, that's what we talked about. Where for us, we make it eight matches a year, if that, international matches. If you're in Europe, like where you're at, you're going to get 40 to 50 international matches a year because you can drive, you know, two hours and play international matches or play friendly, and that's where we talk about playing Canada more. But, again, that only gets us so far because we end up – we're a notch or so above Canada. Canada's improved, don't get me wrong. They've gotten much better, but they're still not at our level yet, so they don't push us as hard as if we had to – able to play Germany, you're able to play Bosnia, Ukraine, you know, a lot of the other countries in Europe who are stronger. And that's where we USA Bible actually improved our budget by 130 thousand dollars this year to play in more international. Yeah. To, because they saw what we did in the world. So oh well now now they're but you talk about foreign is you can't get you got to get improved to get money and you yeah. can't get more money until until you improve. So we've improved, so they're going to put more money into our program to help us play more over in Europe. Of course, the other problem is, for us, half the team works. Like for me, I have a career. So now yeah, you use vacation days and having enough vacation days to go over there. And then you have to balance that with your family life and them complaining about you using your vacation days to play volleyball. And So there's other factors outside of volleyball you have to balance for a lot of the U.S. players.
0: Well, that's probably the luxury I had at the time I was playing sitting volleyball. I was in my mid twenties, finished college, finished university. I had no responsibilities. It's like, okay, this is opportunity to go full time, and centralizing a program which is similar to you guys. Uh, with uh, I think I believe it's the women that did it first in UCO um, that we we'd almost did a carbon copy in London. That they picked like ten people, and I was one of them yeah i went full time before one game is what happened i'll give it a year see what happens and obviously the rest is history um so for for me those early days oh gosh the bot is very brutal on the bottom on the body going from i don't know say once or twice a week to doing two a days uh that first week was i couldn't sit down properly <laughs> it was it's just it, 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 your your backside is not designed for
1: being wanted- a floor map you, you, you want to hear a funny story, and you talk to other U.S. players, they'll, they'll back this up. For the first number of years, I actually sewed knee pads into my tights. So I actually had knee pads on my butt when, when, I, when I, I played for like the first five, six, six years of sitting volleyball. That's, that,
0: that's ingenuity.
1: Yeah, being, now being, being you better. have to get gel knee pads, not the foam, because the foam will will scrunch up and won't come back. The gel ones will come back. and <laughs> that also. <laughs> well,
0: it's it's using common sense of if you say, um, I believe if I remember rightly, say Ukraine, the Russians, you know, with the long trousers and things like that. So each country kind of has their own. We we'll call it style. In terms of how they
1: dress? Long black. Because if it's black and you butt lift, it's hard to see it.
0: Yeah, but the court's bright color.
1: Still, it's a shadow in the shorts. The pants are black. The shadow is black. Trust me. We've we've had this conversation on on the team, and watching the other other teams compete. So if you notice... I think they should
0: legalize it, make it a lot more enjoyable. I'm not playing, so it doesn't matter anymore. So I, I think it should be a lot... Obviously. Not excessive that you're literally going halfway up the net, but allow it because then it make it more explosive, maybe I don't know, maybe change the parameters of the court because you might be hitting the ball off court in the beginning, but the amount of players that do it anyway, and it's it's legitimate, okay, I'm going to do this as a video. It's probably more than that off the ground I'm I'. I'm
1: Generally, for me, it's uh, I'll butt-loving me, two inches or so, J- just enough to get my. Hey, well, say I said
0: the little guy, the li- the little ones that. Oh, the little ones uh, fly. Yeah. The the ones that maybe well we used... use um I didn't I didn't think of but Kazakhstan. Other than that big dude, they're all, or well, the double double amputees. Double AKs. So, oh yeah, they, so, so, they so, get up. Yeah. So, so but that, would make it ex- for the for the neutral very exciting um for you being on the other end of the court i've been hit by the ball in the face so um not so much (laughs) so uh and that was in practice and i don't know how we managed doing the point i literally got smacked in the face and somehow managed to keep it off the floor um what that's done for like concussion or things like that protocols i don't i don't know but it's not the days of what you were talking about where the balls rock hard these things probably absorb and then bounce off uh so but no i i, I think you, you've you seen the progression i think especially because you're saying how, how much do you think the speed has incrementally increased relative to we'll take your age out of it but as in from when you retired the, the the first time we're sitting to coming back now, how much has the athleticism has gone on leaps and bounds?
1: Yeah. It's gone up. The game, I'd say, has gotten probably 50% faster. Um, in the old days, you had these high balls to the outside and people just bang the ball at the top of their hands. Then all of a sudden, you had Bosnia and Iran come out. You know, I think around 2011. No, sorry, 2007 with these shoots, and they started going much faster. So the middle blocker couldn't get out there in time to get the other ones. then you started going with these shoots to the middle and to the gaps. And
0: so I think I think we have to take that that as some of the credit for that because we got in, in, in um very with the coaching staff and the setters. They got very creative in terms of, okay, we don't have the luxury of being very, very, very big. We haven't got, we'll say, the finesse of the Chinese. We haven't got the skill set of the Iranians. Obviously, Bosnia would say big smash, big booms, um, and it's just a case of getting in the way of it. So we have to be very uh, ingenuitive in terms of, you know, literally taking plays from standing. And how do we adapt? And having, obviously, Richard helped, because it's like, well, you want it there. And credit to probably those setters, you've seen the Iranians taking it. The Bosnians, not so much. But you're thinking, okay, uh, the Egyptians, you're thinking, well, we've invented something here, because if the better nations in the world I haven't, I haven't thought about it. You're thinking, so I think just to be, more so maybe from the women's game, you know, like the... the the offshoots you know playing more from the likes of the koreans the japanese you know like it's playing with pace as opposed to say the russian women that was very much is very much based on power that we t- the, the the our coaching staff was willing to kind of go, where can we take things from their knowledge and implement into our game so it was very very very, very creative, and you're thinking the, as an opposition middle, it must have been a nightmare. I was like, well, it should go here oh it's going it's going behind the dude's going behind the set,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying to slide and of sitting, eyeball sitting The other thing I've seen well, main difference is size. everything's gotten bigger, everyone's got I mean the size across the board has uh is probably the biggest difference I've seen from my first started playing in two thousand and one to now. The other thing I've seen in the last two years, recently it's come, come around and because of just how hard people hit the ball and their size, is the back row attack. You're starting to see more and more back row attacks being planned instead of just being out of a scramble play or by accident or because a pass was off the net or something. It's being played into the system of the offense. And I know we're starting to do it more because we have a young guy left-handed. He's six, seven. Uh, who hits the ball really hard? And is that we're starting the arm?
0: Play... Um, the arm amp?
1: Yeah, yeah, Zach, Zach, Zach. Oh, yeah, he's um, for skinny as it he is, he hits the ball surprisingly heavy, and um, so we're starting to do this thing with him and also with Eric Duda. Plan plays out of the back row. Where we'll shift, you know, offensive guys one way, then set them to the other way so they have open net to swing on. You're starting to see that more in sitting by ball because you have taller guys playing in the back row who can hit the ball down now at an angle.
0: So more utilizing what you would see in standing as this little, literally a triple of triple threat if they get it some, right. So,
1: yes, yeah, so, some way. I mean, it's not – I know in standing when I played, you'd, you'd have the tandem pipe coming out of the back, back row. You'd have the middle go up. Then you have some other guy go up, and you have the back row player coming out of the pipe on on a third option coming through. You're not doing that because the blockers net never come down; they're always there. <laughs> so, so you got to try to move the blockers out of the way and then open up a lane for your back back row to hit.
0: Well, it's 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 it, even even as a as a bystander now, it's it's, it's interesting how I can still read. A defense from all the years that obviously studying, well, okay, if this person does this, you serve at that person because then they're out the attack. It's like, and if you can't receive badly, okay, you're not going to be back there very long.
1: (laughs) And the other thing I've seen again, last three, four years that didn't happen a whole lot earlier are topspin serves out of the baseline serve. So back when we first started, everyone served floaters, you know, floaters, floaters. Now you have Russia, I think the bear, I think that he was the first one I saw do it where he was aiming for the hands. He hit the ball so hard, he's aiming for the hands on the block because there's no way you're, you're going to, odds of you putting that ball down off the block are slim compared to how hard he hits it. So now you're actually seeing top spin servers. Zach on our team is one, one of them. The, the bear over in Russia is another one where you actually aim for the hands. and And if it goes over the hands, Usually it's going to go out, out, out of bounds. because well, you're, not
0: gonna get, you're not going to get it, no matter yeah. what. because the diff, Right. But, so you need more else. and
1: more TileSpin servers out of the bat, back row. And I'm one of them. I don't aim for the hands, though. But I'm a spin server out of the back row, which you didn't see that eight, nine years ago. There were very, very few.
0: Well, I tried to mix it up, and that's where I... As a server, I'd probably talk to the coach because you've got, you assistant coach, you've got more experience in volleyball. What can I do to make it an absolute night? Because I couldn't, I, I probably could, but if it was topspin, it's going to be going out of bounds more often than not. Uh, and the more, we'll call them savvier players, this is going to leave it alone. It's like, yeah, it's going out of bounds. If it goes in, hey, well done. Can you do it again? Uh, so mine would literally practice was fun because it's not, it was, it was almost like you were saying of, uh, of yesteryear of trying to prove something to others. So like oh, I'm going to make you look a fool today and then take you out the offense and, and make it as hard as possible. So you probably weren't going to face some of these serves that's going all over the, like, more like women's game. It's, it's literally, you don't know if it's going to go in or out. So you, you've got to play it because, it might just about clip the line and, and and literally if you're leaning out of bounds trying to throw a pass back in, could get called for a carry, you name it. So to to see some of I think they ran, I think the dude was in the backcourt court, uh, front court player and literally just beam boomed in at him. And, but if a ball's doing that and you're trying to take it from your waist, maybe maybe five out of time, five out of 10, you might be able to get it up, but other times you might get, he literally couldn't get it out of his lap and it fell right in front of the set and he couldn't do anything with it. So I was like, okay. And I couldn't, rep- I couldn't replicate it because I rushed myself. So I just, just take my time and kind of go, because not many of team players were going to do that. So that, uh, and then the Moroccans were maybe a little bit more, less experienced. First one, bang, straight at the guy, straight through his hands next one he let it just literally go over his head and it was that far in court uh-huh. thinking you can't you can't do that you got to follow it out and then go from there so the the progression and it's and it's very 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 difficult to control some of them the serves that you're talking about in terms of if you get it slightly wrong with your you you, you can't use your hands to that because it's there's too much uh, Velocity uh, on, on on, yeah, on the speed you just can't if you can maybe break a few fingers and if you don't get the dig right you're gonna put it you're gonna shank it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy I'm retired, <laughs> so, so to not have to have to experience so and and say even in warm up because what you're talking about I would literally do it on purpose stand right on the two meter line and take those impacts from the spikes. like keep the arm was like black and bruised so so something it was something wrong with me then because it's like well you are yeah keep hitting it but as a hitter you're going to go well you're in the way so I'm going to hit it even harder <laughs> if it yeah. doesn't if it doesn't go in in the warm up uh, okay we played the dutch a lot so not going to purposely hurt people but you might take one up here <laughs> On the, fe- the face, so for you, Chris, w- what what do you see your pro- your progression personally? Do you do you think you're gonna uh take that step into to to not necessarily coaching national level, but into coaching to help the next generation from all the experience that you've garnered.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I do coach now able-bodied girls. So I do coach at a girls club I have for probably seven years. Uh, but actually now I'm getting into officiating. And because we're short of officials, there aren't enough officials in the U.S. And so there's plenty of coaches. What uh, what
0: what do, what do you put that down to? Is it because of um, players? I won't say volleyball players are that bad, but as in, you know, but be- language used towards official from parents coaches and sometimes I think players that's,
1: that's some of it years ago when I was in my 20s I, I was official as a basketball ref for high school games and trust me it don't get any worse than that doing being a bat basketball official for, for high school um, so volleyball parents again I'm 6'6 I'm a big guy I'm not worried about parents parents you don't don't say anything to me um, but I've gotten into that. But playing-wise, I actually um, I have two torn rotator cuffs, uh, muscles. I went to Houston, got an MRI last week. So I'm going to try and nurse it till the qualifier in May, and then I'm going to operate it on, get it, get it to repaired. Our next tournament, major one, is until Egypt in November for the World Cup. I'll see. Hopefully I'll be ready by then. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've been playing with one torn rotator cuff now for the last couple of years. I found out the doctor said it's, it's an oh. old injury. I said, Oh, okay, is well, it, that would have been is all the pain it, I've pad for it the last real, few years.
0: Is that a real, real, but because I've had a minor uh rotator cuff tear and it feel and, and to give people's perspective, it just like feels like burning. So you just yeah, well, there's, kind there's of brush it off.
1: Eggs. So I heard it, I heard it in Bosnia. Uh, one was a play against Iraq. My arm, I went back and I was. Backpedaling, you know, doing crab, mm. and my arm bone jammed up into my shoulder as I, as I jammed it in the floor. And then against Germany, I went up the block and my finger caught the net and I felt something give in my shoulder. I think that's where I tore. And the, I saw one torn in the front, one torn on the top. It was really torn at. And then they tore all the way through. It's not like wow. partial, it's torn. So it's mainly a strength issue, pain issue, but I'll manage it until I get through the Edmonton games. Qualifier for Paris will probably be us, Canada, Brazil, and whoever else shows up, I don't know, Costa Rica, Venezuela. Um, And then I'll get an operator. And then if I'm there, I'll have to see how it progresses. I may come back. I want to come back and play. But at 53, eh, you know, I mean, I've I've been playing since 93. So I have a whole – I got, you know, not too much tread left on this tire. (laughs) I have a whole lot of kills that that have happened because of the shoulder. So – We'll see how it goes.
0: Well, I, I, I wish you the speedy recovery on, on when you do have the surgery. So we're coming to the end of of the episode, and I like to ask this of all my guests: if you got to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive, who would that be, and why?
1: Wow! Any athlete, dead or alive? Ooh, you know what? Oh man, I'd have to pick a live, and and it'd be two of them. It'd either be David Robinson, uh, center for the Spurs. He was my idol growing up. Great character, great player. Um, or Karch Karai. I've never met Karch as oddly as it is, and Karch is the reason why I play volleyball. So, um, you know, I remember it was not, it was '84. I was 14 years old. Watching the Olympics, they were playing—I don't know, Brazil or China, something like that—and and they spike it, and he gets it up. This is a spike, right? International volleyball, gets it up with a pancake, digs <laughs> a spike with a pancake. And I was fourteen years old. I said, "That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to do that."
0: I'd love to see the coach's reaction, though.
1: Yeah, so he wouldn't um, be
0: very—I don't if if he if he hadn't. A, got it up the coach probably would be livid. like well why didn't you do the basics
1: yeah but he just dove out of nowhere put a pancake got a spike up but both those guys have great stories of what they've overcome in their life you know david being six six, growing a seven foot tall in the navy karch karai breaking his elbow when he was a child and that's why his he passes so well because he was doing cartwheels in his backyard hand went into a hole and he broke his elbow and his father, you know, his father was a doctor, very intelligent, you know. And Carr said, if I didn't play volleyball, I would have been a doctor. David Robinson, great story, strong Christian guy. You know, he had a lot to deal with in the Navy, comes out of the NBA, and, and just a great human being. Either one of those two is, is who I'd love to sit down and have a, have a conversation with.
0: And my final question before we sign off, if you had to summarize what we've spoken about today, into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be?
1: Don't be afraid of failure.
0: So Chris, once again, thanks again for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, James. I really appreciate it.
0: It has been my absolute pleasure.
1: You have a wonderful day, man.
0: Thanks again for tuning in and i hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below and i would love to hear from you come and connect and ask your questions i've been james roberts from jamesownroberts.com remember this quote by chris harth an athlete is a mindset it's how you prepare think and execute not by some elite status or physical stature Anybody can be an athlete.